Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Good evening. I was about to say good morning then, but you know, evening suits the time better, doesn't it? So, um, Father, I thank you for this crowd of people that have come together using up their Sunday night to worship you. Lord, we, we love you. Nothing better that we could do with our Sunday night than come and worship you and express how much we love belonging to your body. And so, Father, I pray, even as Theo said earlier, that new thing that you're going to do in us, I ask you, Lord God, that you would give us divine revelation tonight, more of who you are understanding things that maybe we haven't seen before, but, Lord, that you would do it in our hearts and not just in our heads. And I ask your blessing, Lord, the power of your presence on each one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now remember that this is a guy whose entire identity is focused around the fact that he is unclean. So the thing that he longs for most is to be clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large clouds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places. Now, the thing about lepers was that they were like the living dead. They were like zombies, except they weren't dead. They were still alive. But everywhere they went, they had this terrible bell, discordant, clanging bell. And they would have to ring it. Now, they had to stand 12 cubits away from any other person. Now, we think social distancing, one and a half metres, 12 cubits is nearly four metres. So they had to all the time stay nearly four metres away and then they had this bell. And so most of the time bacteria had affected their, their throats. So they didn't even speak in a normal voice. They had harsh voices. So they would have this bell and as soon as they saw somebody coming toward them, they would be ringing the bell and they'd be going, unclean, unclean. They felt completely rejected. They felt completely isolated because the Bible treated leprosy absolutely rigidly. The first time you saw that tiny sore and had the priest confirm that it was leprosy, you lost everything. You lost your family. You lost your job. You lost the business that you'd been building. You lost your friends. You lost your beautiful home. You went to live as an outcast among outcasts, scavenging for food and living with rejection every day of your life. Lepers lost their toes and their fingers from being burned on a fire or from um, being bitten off by rats. And you know how that happened was 
they had no sense of feeling anymore. The leprosy had stolen their feeling. We hate pain. When we feel pain, we feel that we want to get rid of pain. But you know what? Pain is a gift because it helps us know we've got something to change in our lives, even if it's just moving your foot away from the fire. So they lost their fingers, they lost their toes, they had all sorts of terrible things happen to them. And for a person to see that first sore was absolutely terrifying because what it meant was never again would you be able to play ball with your kids, wouldn't be able to help them with their homework. Nobody would ever run their fingers through your hair. Nobody would ever hug you. And even if they did hug you, you wouldn't be able to feel it anyway because your feeling was gone. It was absolutely shocking. And the most awful thing about it for some people was you would never again be allowed to go to the house of the Lord. You would never again be able to go with your friends to worship. So what makes this story so amazing is what Jesus did first. See, people were probably expecting him to have a go at healing that leper. But before he healed him, he touched him. This is the God that came from that magnificent heaven filled with all those amazing heavenly beings, the one that swapped that place to come down here to touch us, to love us, to help us, to heal us, to look into our shame-filled eyes with his eyes of love and put his hands on the most wounded places in our lives, the rottingest unforgivenesses, the unuttered repentances, the filthiest of sins. He came from perfection to touch our lives in those places. And that was the thing that made everybody else recoil. He put aside his reputation and his religion and his sense of self and his place, his status as the God of the universe to reach out and touch each one of us in the deepest places of our pain, the most ugly and broken places in our heart, places where things have been hiding, things that would make us feel like nobody would ever talk to me again if they knew about it. He came for that. Do you know, I became a Christian when I was 22 years old and, um, and I was going to this church and I was a secret smoker. It wasn't really secret because I didn't know that everybody could smell me, but I thought it was secret. And sometimes I used to pick up other people from the church and take them to church and I had my cigarettes hidden under the car seat. And I used to think to myself, if they knew, if they knew what I was really like, you know, they would never want to talk to me again. And I remember I'd been in the church for a few years and I was battling stuff, just the same as you're probably battling stuff. And I remember over a whole period of time thinking to myself, if they knew what I was really like, they would never speak to me again. And one Sunday morning I was sitting and I was listening to the preach and I it was nothing in the preach and it was nothing that anybody had done, but I got overwhelmed with that feeling. I don't belong among these people. I'm not good enough. 
they would be horrified if they knew what I was really like. And I remember just being gripped by this feeling that all I had to do was reach down and grab my purse from under my chair. I could just pick it up in one move. I watched myself do it in my head repeatedly. I could pick it up and then I could just walk out the door. But there was something in me that understood if I did that, I would never go back to church again. And I remember sitting there battling in myself and struggling not just to reach down and pick up that bag. And you can see I didn't, so that was a good thing. But there was that feeling that, well, as it turned out, actually they were struggling with a whole lot of things as time proved. But there was that feeling that if they knew what I was really like, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. Now, Jesus doesn't feel like that. Jesus isn't like... We can't think if Jesus knew what I was really like because Jesus does know what we're really like and he still touches us. I was in England when Diana, Princess of Wales, died and I remember an old lady in the church saying to me that the thing that made the population pour out in mourning in the way that they did over her death was because she touched people without gloves on. And Most of you won't even know this, but you know what? The royals always wore gloves. And if they did have to touch somebody, they would just shake their hand and they'd have their gloves on. And Diana came in and she changed everything. She picked kids up. She hugged people. She didn't wear gloves. She just poured out her love to them. Now, we know that all the younger royals do that now, but she broke that through. There was something about her that said, I see who you are. I see that it matters. And she was able to hug and love. It was her genuine willingness to not stay in an ivory tower, but to reach out and touch other people. So this man, he was full of leprosy. The Bible says full of leprosy. That means that he'd had it for a long time. No one had touched that man for years and years and years. He's full of leprosy. It's terrible. And, you know, I'm a tactile person. You know, I'm a hugger. I like hugging people and I like being hugged. And I had to teach my husband how to hug. You know, I like in the early years, I'd say, no, that's not long enough, just a bit longer. And then, you know, he kind of learned how to hug just for long enough. So this guy never had that. And many of the loneliest people suffer from skin hunger. Nobody ever touches them tenderly. Nobody ever gives them a kiss on the head. Nobody ever gives them a hug. Many of the loneliest people around us are suffering from lack of tenderness and lack of love and lack of being touched. So no one escaped being ostracized by society with, um, with leprosy. You know, Isaiah chapter 6 It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uzziah died of leprosy, but before he died, he was a long time in isolation. The Bible says that um, Miriam, it says in Micah chapter 6 and verse 4, it says that Miriam and Moses and Aaron were the leaders of God's people. But when Miriam got leprosy, she was put outside the camp until the leprosy was was healed. Nobody escaped ostracizing because of their leprosy. Right, but so the sentence for a leper is alienation from everything. 
everything they loved. And then Jesus touched this untouchable man and the touch changed his life. But you see, the touch did even more than that. It was Jesus' modus operandi to show his disciples a different way of reaching out people and drawing people into his kingdom. And if you have a look in um, earlier on in the, that particular chapter, Luke chapter one, verses uh, Luke, sorry, Luke chapter five, verse one. One day Jesus was standing beside Lake Gennesaret when the crowd pressed around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets, which meant it was the end of the day. So remember, just think about you've had a really hard day, you've worked really hard, a whole lot of things went wrong, you didn't end up with the catch that you wanted, and you're sitting down now and you've got your TV dinner in front of you and you want to watch Netflix and somebody rings up and says, and it's raining, and somebody rings up and says, I've got a flat tyre, could you come out? That's this kind of thing. So Jesus gets into the boat and he preaches to them. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, and then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out further into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, and you are a carpenter. But seeing as how you said it, I'll drop the nets. So they dropped the nets and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partner, and they were amazed too. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. This is the thing. From now on, you will be fishing for people. As soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, Jesus is calling disciples. He's calling followers. Those people thought they understood fishing, but he's showing them that a good catch means going out further and in deeper. He's calling them then to focus on people. He said, I know you know how to fish but I can show you how to fish better. Now I'm going to ask you to come and follow me and you will fish for people. But the same as with catching the fish, this leper showed that it would require going out further and deeper to make a catch. It's a remarkable thing because that leper was out a long way and he was in very deep. And Jesus had reached in and touched him and see, that scripture I just read to you, it's the beginning of Luke. And by the time we get to the leper, he's now starting to demonstrate to them what that looks like. And then he goes further. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. Afterwards, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up, left everything behind, just like the fisherman did, and follow him. Then Levi threw a great banquet for Jesus in his home. A large number of tax collectors and others sat down to eat with them. The Pharisees and their legal experts and all the religious people who know the laws and know the rules and know what's right and what's wrong grumbled against his disciples. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? And Jesus knows they're talking about him. And he says, you know what? Healthy people 
don't need a doctor and I think he meant to say healthy people don't know when they need a doctor but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people but sinners to change their hearts. Now this story is about Matthew, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew but Matthew was not always a respected and loved disciple. He used to be Levi, one of the most despised and loathsome individuals in the nation and he had earned that reputation because he was in cahoots with the Roman government and he is collecting taxes from them. But more than that, he's ripping off his own people in order to make himself very, very rich. He's not just a collaborator. He's a man who has abused his power consistently and he's rich because of it. Now, you know, Levi was untouchable, just like that leper. He was completely untouchable. But his rottenness isn't on the outside, it's in his lifestyle. And as far as the onlookers are concerned, he's morally disgusting. Like the bacteria that causes leprosy, it started on the inside where rejection and fear and insecurity had worked within him in the same way as it works within us. And it had done something in him because in trying to fill those holes, because because he wanted to be someone that other people would look up to and respect, he'd become corrupted. He may as well be ringing a bell and calling out, unclean, unclean. But he doesn't have to because he's so rich. But in his heart, there's this deep longing for something else. When that call came to him, like he's a really analytical guy. He's a guy who counts costs on every side. He didn't that day. He just got up and left. He got up and went. When he's singled out by Jesus, even though it doesn't turn a profit, he goes. And the people that have got the major problem with that is the religious people looking on because they think to themselves, doesn't Jesus know who that is? He's untouchable, that guy. Like He is disgusting. He's filthy. He's morally bankrupt. Don't they know who he is? Apparently not. Apparently he doesn't know who Levi is. Levi's not going to question the whys and the wherefores about it, even though he knows people are talking about him, people are judging him, people are evaluating him, and not just him, but they're evaluating Jesus as well. No, you know what? Levi's like, I'm sorry you're doing that, but I've got Jesus. And so you know what he does? He gives a major party this massive celebration. And the celebration is like huge and all his mates come. All of his mates come. And you know who his mates are. They're tax collectors and they're sinners. And the the Pharisees and the religious people, it's even worse now because, look, he's partying with all those disgusting, vile, morally bankrupt people. And doesn't he realise who it is that he's with? You know, I suppose, well, Jesus goes to the party. Would you go to the party? Say the party had drug dealers driving Porsches who got rich by destroying other people's lives. And say there were pedophiles there. And say President Putin was there. Would you go to the party? But Jesus went to the party. Jesus went to the party because Jesus knew what it was to go further out and deeper in. Jesus is completely different 
to us and the good people, the religious people, people whose lives are just absolutely put together in the right way, they're shocked. They're repelled. Doesn't he know what they are? And he answers them. He says, I came to people who know they needed help. I came to people who are calling out to me. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? He says, I came to them. And many of his listeners despised him for that. They didn't just despise the tax collector. They didn't just despise the other people at the party. They despised Jesus. And we can see this, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. That's why he can identify with your suffering, acquainted with grief. That's why he can understand the grief that has made you end up doing things that you never otherwise would have done. He's like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we held him in low esteem, looked down on him because he's at a party with loathsome, disgusting people. He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, and somehow when we get to know Jesus a bit better and we're living life a little bit better, we forget that all includes me. But here it says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all, every one of us. He could touch the leper. He could touch the tax collector. He could touch every other human being because he came to the despised and rejected. He came to the suffering and the grief-stricken. But some who don't really understand that will despise him, will continue to judge by their own standards and their own ways and forget what Jesus did for us. He knew that his call was to carry the sins of all of us. And those people others see as despicable are symbolic of the entire world. Only some of us don't see it as clearly as Jesus saw it. Because, you see, we compare ourselves with each other. And that means we can feel proud or self-satisfied or complacent or ashamed because we compare ourselves with each other. But what we need to do is compare ourselves with Jesus because when we compare ourselves with Jesus, we are so far out there and so deep in there that only people who know it's worth going further out and further in and deeper in will be able to reach us. That was who reached me, somebody willing to go further out, and she'd been somebody who'd been further out herself. So you see, if the aim of our salvation is to get to heaven and hopefully take our family and our friends and people we love with us, then remaining in the confines of our people group is fine. That's going to be fine. 
It's all we have to do. But if we allow Jesus to show us beyond the confines of our own little lives, our own little way of being, and into this vast, magnificent kingdom that God is building, and if we will allow Jesus, if we will learn from Jesus how to use those tools, like he welcomes us into the family business. I don't know whether any of you have been bought by your parents into the family business. And, you know, you've got to learn the business. You can't just go in there. That's what God does. He welcomes us into the family business. And he says, I'm going to give you the tools and I'm going to teach you how to go further out and deeper in so that people who are way outside the catchment area of what we're expecting can be reached. He's going to teach us the tools of his trade if we're willing to listen, and the tools, the trade that he's going to teach us is bringing the dead back to life. And we will understand what it is to go beyond our own culture and our own moral status quo in order to do that thing that Jesus wants to teach us to. You know, Leonard Ravenhill said, Jesus didn't come into the world to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people to life. That's anybody sitting here who's made an agreement with Jesus that they will accept him as their saviour. If we can grasp that, we will begin to understand what it is to go further out and deeper in to reach people who are in places that we would never otherwise go. Now, hear me on this. If you've got a problem with lust, don't use this as a reason to go to the strip club, right? If you've got a problem with consumerism, you know, don't, Join the worldwide shopping club and, and try, try and relate there. Work it out on the inside of yourself and then go further out and go deeper in. He is not repelled by the comparison between us and him. Nor is he overwhelmed by the comparison between us and the people who repel us. That's just not the way that he thinks. We don't have to walk four metres away from him, ringing a bell and shouting, unclean. We don't have to do that. Some of us know that there have been times where if there was a bell there to pick up, we probably would have picked it up. This is his perspective and it needs to be ours as well. Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 4, it says, Then a shoot will spring up from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit and remember that we are branches of the vine. So even though this speaks specifically of Jesus Christ, it also speaks of something that we can get a hold of and work out from. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, that means he knows why you ended up in the place that you did. He understands why Levi, the tax collector, with all his rejection and all his analytical thinking ended up in a place like he did. He understood it and he was able to say, hey, Levi, come on, you can join me. And Levi's like, what? But he jumps up because he's like, yep, I want in. I want that. And so it's the spirit of understanding. It's the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And then this is the bit that relates to every one of us because it says he's not going to judge by the sight of his eyes and he's not 
going to decide by what is is here. He's not going to decide by those outward things. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor, the broken, the impoverished. With equity, he will decide for, on behalf of, toward the lowly of the earth. We don't know anyone's backstory. We don't know how someone came to be an object of disgust to other people or how the anti-godness of this world has warped and twisted the way that they grew. But Jesus does. And so Jesus doesn't make his decisions about you or me based on how we present, whether you're Instagram worthy or whether you're slobbing around in a tracksuit watching Netflix or whether you are passed out under a bridge because of the self-medication you've needed to use in order to blot out the pain of your life. Jesus, he understands all of that. He's not about, well, I can probably deal with the Netflix person, but I think the bridge person has probably gone a little bit too far. No, further out and deeper in. That's what the Lord is calling each one of us to because he judges with righteousness. He doesn't evaluate your worth by how you speak or how well you present because we're all totally impoverished and rejectable compared to him. But he judges impartially and he judges with understanding and he sees where we've come from and he sees why we've ended up like we have ended up and all we see is that we ended up like that. The story of the man full of leprosy is the story of us, even though most of us don't know that and even though most of us don't identify with the leper, we identify with the people that are looking on like, no, you're not going into that group, are you? We don't know that that's not who we are. Who we are is the leper. And we identify with the onlookers who draw back in horror and are repulsed. But any of us, all of us at any point could find ourselves out too far and in too deep. And it's only because some fisher of men has taken the time and had the courage to learn from their master how to go further out and deeper in and reach in and pull me out, maybe you, pull out somebody that's made in the image of God because he does not compare us with each other. He's not checking our sin chart to see who's been naughty and who's been nice and how naughty naughty has to be before it's too naughty. He's not doing any of that. He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the criterion. That's the criterion for us to follow him. That's the criterion for us to know about other people who will follow him. And he's going to work the rest of it out with them because it's none of our business. You know, I don't know about you, but I have found that the Lord doesn't talk a whole lot to me about someone else. It doesn't matter how badly done I feel I've been. When I go to him, and ask him if he'll just strike him with lightning. He's like, just let, let's talk you and me about your stuff first. And that's what he does at every level. He's going to work it out and he's going to enable us to work, walk together because he's calling a people with the courage, with the willingness, with the wholeheartedness to go further out and to go deeper in so that people like the leper and the tax collector, both of whom were just the same as all the others to him, 
so that we can do that same thing as well. We're going to take communion now. And, you know, I think it's just really important for every one of us to remember, you know, I heard something a long time ago which was that so many people drink to forget. It's why they end up under bridges. It's why they end up dead from alcohol poisoning. So many people drink to forget. But Christians, we get to drink to remember. We get to drink to remember that Jesus Christ saw me, a leper, a tax collector, a fisherman just going about my own work. We get to remember that we were not too little. We were not too small. We were not too ugly. We were not too filthy. We were not too broken for him to reach in and touch us. And that's the thing that he's doing with each one of us. And so I'm just going to read to you this um, scripture that the Lord, that speaks of what the Lord did when he died for us. And feel free as I do that to come out and get communion. There's, they're around, and I think over there is uh, gluten free. Over there is gluten free. And as you take communion, they don't really just hit home again. Even if you were brought up in a Christian home, you never really knew how bad you actually could be. I want to tell you, you could have been. Every one of us is in that place where if it were not for Jesus, we just wouldn't stand a chance. So feel free to come out and get that communion as ready. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you know, we know that this isn't the actual body and blood of Jesus. This is, this is just something to help us remember. And you could do it at home with your kids. You could do it with Jats biscuits and milk if you want. What we need to do is regularly stop and remember, I was a sinner and Christ died for me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the outpouring of your presence on us as your people. Lord, we thank you that we're not struggling in the water, fearful of drowning, because you reached your hand in and you brought us safe home. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you will enable us to see you and to know you so clearly that we stop comparing ourselves with our neighbours and with our friends and with our partners and with our parents or our kids, but, Lord, that we will begin to compare ourselves with you and that we will thank you, Lord, because as we look at you like in a mirror beholding your glory, you're changing us and changing us and changing us. So, Father, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, Help us remember it's only because of your sacrifice that we're even doing this. Lord, I just speak blessing on every one of us as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week. 